even trains agents couldn't pick out who was lying and who wasn't when they set up scenarios where they had people come in and lie and some tell the truth. It really made me go, I shouldn't be so confident to think, oh, I can read somebody. Welcome to your Pastor Reads Books. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is Pastor Lisa Clements, who talks with me about Malcolm Gladwell's fascinating book, Talking to Strangers, What You Should Know About the People You Don't Know. Lisa is an ordained Assemblies of God minister, a church planter, and pastor of North Dallas Assembly and serves as a presbyter in the North Texas Ministry Network. One of the things we talk about today is our natural bias toward believing the best about people, which sometimes stops us from asking hard and courageous questions when we see a red flag. Our conversation takes us in a couple other interesting directions too at the beginning of the podcast where we talk about the Billy Graham rule and its impact on men and women working together and whether or not Christians should be reading banned books. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Lisa, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Good. Um, You know, I just love you. And I remember meeting you and feeling like I met a kindred spirit because you've had a lot of similar experiences as I have um, in our denomination in the Assemblies of God. Uh, I feel like um, you're kind of a unicorn because you're a female pastor, you've planted a church, you're a presbyter, you're an elected official in the North Texas district. Um, that's a unique experience uh, in our day and even in our fellowship. And I, tell me a little bit about what this journey has been like for you. Yeah, um, I often use that term unicorn to describe myself. And people are like, what do you mean? There's lots of women in ministry. And I, I say there are, but there aren't many like you and I, Heather, that we are in ministry, but our husbands are not. And so my husband works a full-time job. He's not always there to accompany me to events. And I remember speaking at chapel, at our district chapel, and someone said, well, where's Eric? Isn't he here? I'm like, well, he has a job and he doesn't want to take vacation. He's heard me speak a lot of times, you know? (laughs) um, There's just other times that you feel that. Um, Intentionally, I go alone to some of our district events and district things. Because if he's with me, people talk to him and not to me, or it's like the respect or whatever. For example, at district council, you know, when they have the booths and things set up to sell, you know, we can sell insurance or we can put a roof on your church or that sort of thing. I will go around those and often stop and get the candy or if they have a free thing to get. And um, oftentimes they won't talk to me other than, hey, are you having a good time? Whatever. But if I go back through with um, my associate pastor or a male, they will almost always offer the product to the male. Hey, hey, pastor, tell me about your church. Hey, pastor, whatever. And if someone does talk to me and offer me the product, I will compliment them on that and tell them how rare that is to have someone see me as a decision maker. And that sort of thing. So it's it's just an interesting little tweak um, of being, you know, a female whose husband works outside the home full time. Mine actually works in the home. He offices in the home now, <laughs> but um, and is not in ministry. Fully supportive, hundred yeah. percent. But um, 
So it's just a, a little different tweak. Yeah. On that's similar to my, my story as well. I mean, my husband's been working from home since COVID, but he's not in ministry, fully supportive, but he generally doesn't come to district events. And, you know, it's not that he'd be opposed to it, but we do have a, a 13 year old who still needs to get to school in the morning. So it's kind of my norm too, to just go, but right. what I, I love about what you're doing is that you're being proactive about educating people and just pointing it out in a gracious way. Like, Hey, thank you for doing this because here is what the impact is. Yeah. And it also, um, allows other, oftentimes I will set with uh, a single female missionary or another single female minister. It's kind of become a heart of mine. Um, oftentimes single female missionaries can't get a, a an audience with a, a, a lead mm, pastor or something. Yeah. And so I try and make it a point to meet with them, but mm. oftentimes at lead council or, or district events, I'll say, Hey, I'm going to be there. You can be with me. And I think it shows them a way to be respectful and also um, say, Hey, I, I am the decision maker. I am a leader and, mm. and that sort of thing. That's so good. I mean, the thing that popped into my head when you said this, uh, and this isn't necessarily where we are going to go spend our whole conversation, but is it because of the Billy Graham rule that uh, single female missionaries can't necessarily get an audience with male pastors? A lot of times it is. Or okay. they'll say, oh, it's too hard. My wife can't meet at this time. Or, mm. hey, can you call and talk to my wife? And what I say oftentimes is um, just my little answer to the Billy Graham is I don't usually meet with congregants alone anywhere. Mm. Um, I will make sure someone else, they're male or female. We live in an interesting society now. Mm -hmm. However, there's a difference between colleagues yeah. and congregants. Yes. And so um, I differentiate that. And I have been blessed in the North Texas district. I haven't encountered it that much. Mm -hmm. um, there are times I'll be meet as a presbyter, I have to meet with pastors and they may bring their teenage child with them or something like that with a book. And that's on um, that's theirs. And I that's okay with me. Mm -hmm. But I don't make accommodation for that. Uh, mm -hmm. um, if they ask for it, I, I put that back on them. But yes, that's often the reason cited. Um, but if they say, uh, well, is Eric going to be there? Or is somebody going to be there? No, but we're going to be at Starbucks or we're going to be, you know, yeah. here or there. And I just don't offer them a solution. If they want to bring a solution, they can. That's nice to not make it your job or your responsibility. It's, right. And it's not. And it's been interesting as I've done it more often. And as um, I guess maybe respect or, or whatever has grown, it, it really hasn't been a big issue for me. Mm. Um, but I'm also very intentional in the way I set things up. And, mm -hmm. and no, I wouldn't meet alone at my church, really with anybody. Mm. But uh, I, I will meet at Starbucks or, you know, wherever in a public place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I realized as we were talking that we should probably like let people know what the Billy Graham rule is. There might be some people oh. listening, maybe some Gen Z uh, ministers or churchgoers who don't know, like, yeah. do you want to take a stab at defining it? Yeah, I can take a stab. Most people know who Billy Graham was. He was a preeminent evangelist. 
in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, which was a different dynamic. And he had a code of ethics for himself and his staff. One little sliver of that code was never meeting with a woman alone, um, ever. And so a lot of people have taken that as a sign of like fidelity and ethical uh, ability. But what often they don't understand is how that limits a female pastor or a female from getting access to funding to let them know about their missions. Mm -hmm. Or for me as a female pastor to get mentored because Mm -hmm. there aren't very many women doing it. Um, A couple of things I just heard recently, uh, George O. Wood uh, is an Assemblies of God uh, editor, and I I don't know all of his titles, but he hosts the Influence podcast for the Assemblies of God. And he just had a podcast with Dr. Joanne Butrin. She wrote a book, and I can't remember what that is. Maybe you can add it into the notes later, um, addressing men and women working together. But they addressed the Billy Graham rule in their recent podcast Mm. excellently. And then Daniel Strickland used to be uh, head of the Salvation Army. And she speaks now for uh, a lot of leadership and ministry context. And she addresses the Billy Graham rule, probably the best I've ever seen. Joanne even uh, references Danielle Strickland in in their conversation. So those are great resources. Mm. If you want to dive in a little bit more and hear how some high-level women are handling that challenge. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. And I love how you're handling it too, that you're not making accommodations, as you said, or you know, trying to bring like extra reinforcements to help you be a minister in the world. You're just being yourself. And if other people feel like they need uh, additional people at a meeting, they can do that. <laughs> but they you're can not do that. I'm fine it. with that. And yeah. you know what? I, I have learned not to be offended by those things. Yeah. It, it, I don't know what other people's story is. Exactly. I don't know what's behind that. So, you know, I, it's, they don't need to be offended. Exactly. Uh, I don't need to be offended. I choose not to be and just keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not to beat this to death, but like we never know the stories of other people's marriages. Exactly. And I find that just even growing up with a mindset of what is proper and what isn't um, makes it hard for people to ever change that, you know? And so I noticed like with the older generation, like, that's a, it's a more comfortable for them to have, you know, chaperones with the younger generation, not so much because they haven't right. grown up with that. Um, but enough on that, I guess like <laughs> you, you, Lisa are just such a brilliant woman and widely oh, read you. and, um, you know, we're going to, you're going to introduce a book in a moment here, but like, what has shaped you into the reader that you are today? Um, I think when I do those strength finders, I'm a learner and an intellect. Those are the top two. And I, I even remember as a child, just voraciously learning and reading. And mm. I, I was kind of a loner and I still am, but they were my friends. I still think about Laura Ingalls Wilder or, or Trixie Belden or Heidi and and the mountaintop experiences or Meg from A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. Um, they're still considered my friends. I remember in high school reading a book. I don't even know how I got it in my hands. I was just, I read several books a week. Um, I just was reading. Wow. And um, on female uh, circumcision, 
And I had never even, that wasn't a concept I was even aware of, but wow. it opened my mind to a whole other culture. And, uh, and so I've found that I've been introduced to the world, to our own plight, reading some African-American writers recently and things. Mm. It's just, it, I, I just want to know more. I want to hear your story. I love to hear people's story. Mm, so you you are not reading books that are written by people just like you is what I think I hear you saying. I try to intentionally not or read the other side. Or um, I remember when Harry Potter came out. I don't know if we can say that out loud. Yeah, on this let's podcast. talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> but um, my kids were in second grade. My, my daughter was in second grade and somebody from the church called me and said, have you read Harry Potter? At that point, I'd never even heard of Harry Potter. The first book was just out. And um, so I went to the school librarian and said, do you have a book called Harry Potter? And she got this really scared look on her face. And she said, yes, why? She knew I was a Christian. I said, because I want to read it. People are asking me about it and I can't comment until I've read it. <laughs> and she started crying. Oh, She said, nobody has done that. They've come and wanted to ban the book, pull the book, do the book. And I loved it. We became mm. Harry Potter fans and I may get excommunicated now, but... Oh man, um, no worries. <laughs> You're safe. <laughs> But anyway, I, you know, and there's been other books I've read. Um, I read all the books on my daughter's banned book list Ooh. because why, why are these being banned? How can we dialogue about this? Because mm. the best way to ensure a kid reads a book is to put it on the banned books list. And yeah. so I was like, and some of them, I'm like, these are 18 year old honors English students. They should be reading this. Mm. And yes, it does make me uncomfortable, but this is what's going on in the world. And, mm. and, and it opened a dialogue. So I've never been afraid something was going to jump on me from a book or impact mm. me in a way. It's allowed me to kind of see the other side. That's and sometimes amazing. to go, these aren't good books. If you yeah. didn't ban it, no kid would read it, you know? Right. <laughs> so. right. Like you find out, oh, some of these are great. Others of these are like, who cares? You know, like it's not well-written. A kid could, they would wade through it, be like, I want to pick something else, you know? So yeah. um, I, I've always want, I've never been afraid of reading the other side or hearing the other side. In fact, I wow. love that. I think you're really courageous because I think once the Christian community sort of like labels any culturally produced media as dangerous. Uh, I think that uh, it feels risky to announce that we're going to wade into that territory and check it out for ourselves. Right. And that's why I have gained um, actually from non-Christians when I say, when I talk about Harry Potter or the Da Vinci Code, when that mm. was out, I had people at my church asking me, and I read that and I'm like, it's an excellent book of fiction. It yeah. is a book of fiction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't need to get flipped out about, you know, I really don't think when I watch Star Wars that the force is coming and put all these things, yeah. you know, and so sometimes just being able to pull back and go, okay, guys, it was just a really good story. And yeah, it had some interesting religious things, but it was fiction. Right. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So speaking of reading books by people with different perspectives, people who aren't Christians, you know, people in all sorts of writing in all sorts of genres, tell us about the book that we're talking about today. 
Um, we are talking about talking to strangers, what we should know about the people we don't know by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, Malcolm Gladwell is just a brilliant mind. He wrote for the New Yorker. I've read a lot of his books. And oftentimes we hear things quoted and um, you go, the 10,000 rule. Well, people got that from Malcolm Gladwell because he wrote about it and, mm. and different things. But um, this was a book um, I bought on audio over a year ago because Beth Moore, I had seen it come out and Beth was like, oh my gosh, this is an awesome book, but you have to listen to it. So I bought it, but I hadn't listened to it yet. I was looking for a new book and I, I feel like the Holy Spirit prompted me to, to listen to it in the midst of, um, the Christianity Today article on Chi Alpha and everything coming oh, out. Oh, okay. Uh, we're in Texas. That's kind of where everything is. And I can't yeah. speak a lot to that. Some of our leaders uh, in a, a college ministry um, were inappropriate and um, exposed their ministry to some heinous things. And if you want to read more about that, you can Google Chi Alpha Christianity Today, and there's a whole um, article on that. Okay. Um, but it it's hard because a lot of times I've heard assume the best, mm. when, especially as a pastor, when someone comes to you, assume the best, assume they meant it from the best point of view, assume the best. In that assumption of the best, sometimes we blow through red flags or we miss underlying things. And that's exactly what Malcolm Gladwell is talking about in talking to strangers what we should know about the people we don't know. Hmm. Um, he talks about spies and a big CIA spy ring that went on for years and years. And people had red flags, but they just didn't listen to those promptings. Hmm. He talks about the Jerry Sandusky incident, which was a coach from a, a very uh, decorated coach from Penn State, who it turns out has been abusing uh, boys for years. And even though there was an eyewitness that caught him, his mind wouldn't let him understand what he saw hmm. because we default to truth. And um, I don't know, this book was, it was enlightening. It was disturbing in a lot of ways hmm. because I'm like, what are we missing? Hmm. Um, it made me think about what, my first job, one of my first jobs, I worked for Big Brothers and Sisters for several years as a case manager. And we had to evaluate volunteers who were going to be one-on-one -on -one with a child. And so we were really steeped in training. Um, we even went to a weekend conference where we met with sex offenders and they talked about that was part of their um, uh, rehabilitation in their institution how they groomed people and, and the things to watch for and different things like that. So we had to ask very specific questions. Um, I have asked people, have you ever had sex with a minor? And they say, yes, in an interview asking wow. to be alone with a child. And so um, it's something that was, that's always been um, a justice oriented thing for me. We've got to ask the next question. We've got to mm -hmm. be there and always felt like I would be, you know, I, they, nobody could get by me. I, I mm -hmm. can catch that. I can see it. Huh. Um, but after reading this, I was like, I don't know. 
I, uh, there are so many questions and we do default to truth. Like that can't be true. Or surely they didn't just say that or I, 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 they must have misheard, Hmm. you know? Can you say more to that default to truth? Is it the same thing as assuming the best? Is that what he means by it? I think it is. He talks about it being, um, let me, I, I marked it here because I wanted to come back to it. Um, you don't believe someone because you don't have enough doubts. You, you believe them because you don't feel the doubts are enough. Mm. And um, he talks about um, defaulting to truth has actually pr- protected our species. Maybe that is where I can go back to when I worked at Big Brothers and Sisters. There was a point where my husband was like, Lisa, you don't trust anybody. You're Mm. seeing everything as a red flag. Mm. And it was hard to be in a social setting because I was like, oh my gosh, that was a little out. I mean, that was, Mm. you know, maybe not appropriate. And and he's like, nobody else sees it that way. (laughs) And that's Malcolm's point that as a society, we couldn't exist if we didn't have some baseline of truth with everybody. Mm. If we were always suspicious of everybody, true, we would we'd be turning on each other. True. So he calls it evolution, but there's that default to truth. And I want to believe you. Yes. And it made me um it made me press in more to the Holy Spirit because we should be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We can have the mind of Christ. So how do we, in our interactions with people, and this, this book concentrates on those negative interactions. It, you know, it talks about uh, some police encounters and, and talks about people's culture. And, um, and, and these are um, real life, investigations that have been conducted on this behavior and he kind of narrates out of that and it just made me think if our pastors and we know that there's been a lot of especially the last few years pastors that we've seen fall from grace pastors and i and i hate that we even say that they fall from grace like, yeah they're still full of grace they just made them they they messed up and how far we go, and, and I look at even the Baptist church and the Catholic church, how far we go when we're afraid to ask the next question. Hmm. So how do we strike that balance um, of, hey, there's a red flag. Is that, is that a marker to stop at or is it a marker to move through? I think that we have to have the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we move through. So let's say I'm meeting with somebody and they say something that I go, huh. One, I think we have to ask the next question. But two, I think we need to be bold enough to hit pause and take it to prayer. And um, a prayer that I often pray is, Jesus, let the truth set us free. And so are we praying for truth to be evident, for me to recognize truth? The thing, though, is having the courage 
to act on what we learn. There's several places in the book where there is a person who sees the truth. But because nobody else seems to see it, they doubt themselves. And um, with the, the Bernie Madoff, he was the guy with Enron who had the big Ponzi scheme. Mm. There was an economist who figured it out, hmm. but he didn't know how to get it to the right people. And then he became paranoid about sharing it with the right people. And finally, when he shared it, it opened up and kind of blew the case open. But are there things that we see and the Holy Spirit may be prompting us, but do we have the courage to ask the next question or to take the next step? Yeah. It's so hard to be that person, the one person to do it. Yeah. It is. Um, And so this was just, you know, I don't know if it provided any answers, but it really made me go, I shouldn't be so confident to think, oh, I can read somebody. Mm. Because what they showed in the studies over and over in the book is even trained CIA agents couldn't pick out who was lying and who wasn't. When they set up scenarios where they had people come in and lie and some tell the truth. Wow. Um, Wow. And so I think if we don't have the Holy Spirit, there's no way we can know. Mm. Yeah. And we have to trust that, you know, if there's a big danger zone that God will, God will protect us or he'll lead us away from it. Just kind of like he, you know, I think it was Paul who was going through, uh, modern day Turkey, you know, yeah. and any, and in acts we're told the Holy spirit wouldn't let them go this way. And the Holy spirit wouldn't let them go that way. We're not really sure why, but they had to keep going straight. And like, we need that Holy spirit. And the fascinating thing is the Holy spirit told him to keep walking and, um, across Asia, which is like 400 yes. miles and said, but don't preach the word. Mm. And Paul could have been like, that's what I'm called to do. Right. How could I hear something that's antithetical to what I'm called to do? Mm. And, but he heard it and he obeyed it. And I think that's where sometimes we hear and we talk ourselves out of if it's Paul going, but I'm called to do that. How can you tell me not to preach or to step Mm -hmm. out of ministry in this time Mm -hmm. or to confront this person? Right. Or to have the next conversation because that's risky. What will people think? Yes. So it it can't be the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. But I think the Lord calls us to be courageous. Mm-hmm. I always ask guests, how has this book shaped you in following Christ? And I I, I don't know what you would add to this, but what I feel I'm hearing is he's called me to lean in more to him. Uh, to mm-hmm. discern truth, but also to be courageous. And would you add more to this? Yeah, I think that's it. And I, I think it's, this sounds so cliche, but I, we have got to be having prayer time, listening to the Lord. So we do recognize it. We do recognize his voice when he says, hey, stop. Um, I read an article, it wasn't in Malcolm Gladwell, it was someplace else, um, that said humans are the only animals that press through 
that feeling of something's not right. We mm. will keep walking. Wow. Um, every other animal, they're like, if all the fish are swimming this way, get out of the ocean. Something's chasing them. Or if all yeah. the little animals are, you know, they won't, we will run into a burning house. And there's something altruistic mm. about that. Mm-hmm. But there's also those points when um, we go into the dark parking lot when there's something that said don't. Yeah. And you're like, well, I might look like a fool if I, or, you know, that sort of thing. And there's a reason why we have the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not just to convict us of sin. It is Mm -hmm. for that. But he's to guide us. Mm -hmm. Isaiah talks about this is the way walk in it. Um, Paul writes that we can have the mind of Christ. And that's not just in spiritual things. Yes. Um, and so learning how to lean in, and I'm not successful at it. This is a journey that I'm on. And this book convicted me of that. And But I think the other thing that it made me more confident in is to ask the next question. If there's a red flag, don't let it sit there. Mm. Yeah, I... So ask the question that the red flag prompts, essentially. Right. And something that happens um, as a presbyter, I interview people for um, to get their license or their credentials with the Assemblies of God. And on our little form, there's a form for the national office. There's a question that says, is there anything else that you want to tell me that you haven't told me? Mm. And then the next question I ask, because the number one problem facing young ministers, male and female today, is pornography. Mm -hmm. The next question I ask is, tell me about the last time you looked at pornography Mm. or viewed pornography. And you can tell when some are like, and we've gotten answers of, well, this was a struggle for me, or it's never been a struggle for me. But it prompts the next conversation. It prompts the next question. And um, I think we have to be bold to ask some questions Mm. that maybe we've been trained are not appropriate. Mm. But we live in an inappropriate society. Yes. You know, my question for you is how has this book caused you to think about being a better pastor and a better giver of spiritual care to others? And I think you're getting at that with being willing to boldly go where maybe no one else has gone before in their care for these people. And being willing to be a safe place to hear the ugly. Yeah. To ask the next question. Um, When I, uh, a few years ago, we had um, a young woman come to our church who got radically saved. And she brought her friend who was transgendering to male when she brought her. Mm-hmm. And um, she has since been saved and, and is, is embracing her femaleness now. Mm. But in the midst with the two of them, the Lord would promptly prompt me often to ask some hard questions of them in discipleship, mm. um, to challenge them. And each of them have said, we kept coming back to you because we've never been to around a pastor that didn't reject us for some of our answers hmm. or 
you know, and, and we worked through them in discipleship. But I think my case management or social work background helps me with some of the things that they say to not be shocked or to to know that our people can trust us with the ugly of their Mm. lives, that we can point them to Jesus in that Mm -hmm. and also be a safe place um, as a leader that pastors or young ministers can come and say before it's, it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm having a struggle. Um, and I think this book helped me to go, man, we all are fallen. Mm-hmm. And Lord, give me grace to extend grace. Mm-hmm. And also give me courage to speak truth. You said earlier that one of your prayers was that Lord may the truth set us free. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like this is what what we hope for, what you're hoping for when you ask those hard questions, like to provide a safe place for truth to be there. And then for the expression of that truth to really like unshackle people from secrets and, and baggage. Exactly. Because sometimes until you can bring it into the light and go, hey, this really is a struggle for me. I haven't. I haven't acted on it, but I, this is here. It makes it not as scary when you pull it out into the light and, um, and you talk about it and, um, I'm not freaked out about it. I may be Mm -hmm. freaking out on the inside, but I try (laughs) and, you know, be like Jesus and ask the next question or how can I support you through this? Or, Mm -hmm. um, what what are the next steps we need to take or are those kinds of things? And I think if we ask the hard questions when we see the red flags or when the Holy Spirit prompts, it's a different conversation than on the far other side of when they've been caught or I've been yeah. caught or it's, it's terrible now. Yeah. And it's a whole different conversation. Right, where a lot more people are hurt and there's a big mess to clean up. Well, Lisa, would you have any more or last nugget of wisdom you want to share with us today? I think, you know, listen to people. I listen to people and most of all, learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and have the courage to obey it. There have been times where I've prompted to ask a question that seems totally out of left field or to say something, and it's the thing. And they're like, how did you know? I I didn't, you know? And I think most pastors, most people have had those experiences, but how can we make them normative instead of extra? Right, right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for being here today. This has been a great conversation about Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers and not just the book, but the ways in which uh, as pastors, like we can dig a little deeper when we are caring for our neighbors and caring for those in our congregations. And, And if you're not a pastor listening to this, this is an invitation to lean into the Holy Spirit so you can discern truth in in your different relationships with people and hear that i would recommend that you listen to this book he does he plays a lot of audio of actual 
interviews, police interviews, and wow. and he adds he adds a lot of narrative um, in the audio book. So it, I've read it and I've listened to it, and it's it's profound listening to it. Awesome! Thanks so much for being here, Lisa. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening in on my conversation with Pastor Lisa Clements about Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, what we should know about the people we don't know. You can follow Lisa's church ministry at North Dallas Assembly by looking for that link in the show notes. And don't worry, links to all the books and articles she mentioned are listed there too. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform, share an episode on the socials, or send a link to a friend. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to read a great book today.